Hello, and thank you so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review The Katie Helper Show on iTunes. Give us some stars. Give us a rave review. Also, become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. This podcast episode combines two live streams that I did. The first part of it is an interview that I did with Kashama Sawant. Then I play an interview that I did with Corey Robin. If you prefer live video, please stop by our live streams. You can find those on YouTube Thursdays and Sundays at 7 p.m. Or you can just listen to them as podcasts as you're doing right now. My co-host, Jack Allison, is the co-host of the Struggle Session podcast, as well as the Jack AM Twitch stream. Kashama Sawant is a Seattle City Council member, socialist, member of Socialist Alternative, and the AFT. Hello, everybody. Hello. How's it going? How are you all doing? How are you? Welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Uh, Hello, Jack Allison, how are Hello, you? Hello, Katie. Uh, uh, I'm good. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be no longer ailing, spending the entire day. I won't bore your uh, viewers, you know, in the restroom. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad to be back and not lo- no longer in that situation. Yeah, you were suffering from uh, gastritis, right? I had a I very bad... I only say that because you already said that publicly I had a very show. bad gastritis flare-up, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, folks. If you are diagnosed with gastritis... Don't eat pizza. Don't drink lemonade. It's oh. not good for you. You got to stay away from acid. And I am here to tell you, you know, that, that you really have to. That you really, it's true. You so you, you learned it the hard way. Oh, I did. And I, I teach myself the hard way over and over again uh, because I like to be an example for everyone. So, you know, that, uh, you know, just to help help use my platform to help inform people basically yeah. about, you know, gastritis. I'm a, I'm a gastritis influencer, you know, in a lot of ways. A gastrin? What would you say? A gastrin? I'm a, I'm a gas. I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a gas. Well, I mean, you know, I could, I could be doing gas, gas in inspo or something like that. Right. Gas inspo. You know, there's inspo, so gas inspo or something. Right. Anyway, gas, gas. What about oppo? Like, what if you do oppo on how to defeat gastritis? I wish if anybody has any oppo on how to defeat gastritis, I would love to defeat gastritis and take back my stomach. I would love to take back my stomach and be be allowed to uh, eat whatever you want, eat whatever I want again. You know, now I'm I live in fear of my stomach and in, in its thrall. You know? Yeah, I agree. And also uh, gasser, gaslighter, uh, gastromicon. Oh, yeah. I yeah. got to say something. I'm I a gastriter. I... You've heard about gaslighters. I'm a gastriter. Yeah, I'm a, I'm on gas strike. I don't yeah. even know what that means. I'm just having some kombucha because I myself had stomach issues today. Wow. Yeah. And that got, you know, what the hell is that stuff that probiotics has in there? It's called probiotics. Yeah, yeah, probiotics yeah. is very good for your for your yeah. gut, they say. Mm-hmm. Very for good, your yeah. gut. Yeah. No, it's not TMI. We haven't said anything weird yet. Honestly, we haven't. That's that's the irony. I mean, this, this is all just area normal lends itself. Chat, yeah. You know, just normal Nor- chat. Normie chat. Norma chat. Um. So Very guys, normal. We're in normie times now. We're it's Biden culture now. Biden oh is now God. the president, and we're yep. in very, very normie times. So back to it's norm. time to be very cool. normal. Yep. And and you guys, you know what's normal? You know what's normal to do? It's what's a that? respectful thing to do um, because we have our republic has been um, reestablished. Like Thank the stream. God. Like Fascism the stream is right over. Now. 
fascism, fascism is, over. is over. We we voted out fascism. Unless you know how fascism will come back. It comes back what? if you don't share the stream, if you don't like to this like the stream, and if you don't subscribe to the stream, mm -hmm. you will be you will be boot. What did they call it? Um, goose stepping. You you're basically goose stepping. Yeah. Uh, a lot to fascism. So I want more eyes on this show. Uh, I want more likes. I want more shares. And again, the cool thing about this is it's not even like. This isn't asking anyone to give money. This is just asking people to come on over. To click and literally a button. Just click a button. Click a button, yeah. Click yeah. a cartoon button on your computer. Click that's that's all you have to do. Button, yeah. Own the libs and subscribe. Okay? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So um, we have a great show for you today. We are going to be talking to a really interesting guest. And I hope you guys are appreciative because I don't mean that in like a... Uh, I don't know what way. Just be happy. I'm happy. Yeah. You should all be happy because people in the chat had already asked for this guest. She's wonderful. She's going to be our first guest coming on um, at the uh, around 745, uh, Kashama Sawant. She has served on the Seattle City Council since 2014. She's a member of Socialist Alternative. Her most recent re-election campaign was in 2019 in which Amazon spent an unprecedented $1.5 million to defeat her. Good God. She's become a consistent advocate of raising taxes on the wealthy, expanding city services for the city workers and for environmental rights and Palestinian human rights. So what do you think happens to her? What do you, what happens to you when you take on power like that? I mean, probably, you know, you get a lot of support from people and respect. And, you know, obviously some of these benevolent benevolent billionaires probably step in and help yeah, her because totally, of, you know, yeah. the uh, the purity of, 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 their of, what, her, of what she believes in, yeah. in their hearts. Yeah, yeah. So almost, um, they could have done that. They probably were thinking about it, but instead they decided to launch a recall effort. So she's now facing a right-wing recall uh, in retaliation for spearheading victories like $15 minimum wage and the Amazon tax. So we got to really spread the word, which again, you got to share this link. You got to share this. I'm not saying this for myself, though, of course, I you know I would like to have nice viewers, a lot of viewers. I'm saying this for... Kashama Sawant, because we have to share this story. Really, we do. And we're going to have to make clips out of it and make it go viral because this is truly disgusting. Then on a more positive note or a victorious note, we're going to make the Kashama story a victory because we're going to protect her from that recall, from that total recall. And mm -hmm. someone do some to total recall memes, please, with um, Kashama Sawant in it. But Kashama Sawant. Uh, then we have uh, Dallas Goldtooth and Joshua Con Russell, both um, return guests. And they're going to talk about something that actually was good, which is that Biden has agreed to cancel the uh, XL pipeline. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Uh, very happy about that. And, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, we, you know what we can do, Jack? You know, we sometimes we like to play What's videos. That? Oh, yeah. We like to play videos. And, love you know, stuff. case study uh, QB is just like a machine. Everyone should be following him. Uh and he always has really great clips to play. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just play some of them. And remember, uh, Case Study QB, his Twitter handle is literally Case Study QB. I always forget that. Um, so we're going to go watch some of his videos. And then we can respond. And then we're going to have on our first guest. And then what we can do is we can chat more afterwards, watch some more videos. You know, I'm really laying out the the structure what of we're going to be show. doing during the show today yeah. you know yeah. that's that's you know that's responsible show hosting yeah that's responsible very show hosting. that's very responsible show hosting i mean where the hell are how do people know where the hell we are otherwise you <laughs> i know? mean i almost feel bad because i very rarely do this and now <laughs> right. i'm starting to feel like i've been so irresponsible all these wow. other episodes right wow yeah um and by the way last night was a very fun um uh 
chat where we looked at uh, memes, memes, Bernie, Bernie Sanders memes, and we had people vote. And um, we're going to review those results. I think Maria's is correct on, on Wednesday because we want to make sure that everyone has a chance to cast their mm -hmm. vote. Uh, and we take this seriously. We take got to make sure seriously. that all. By the way, it's all on the up and up, and there's not fraud going on. Oh yeah, on, I know. You know. I know. With these Voter vote counting yes. machines, you hear all sorts of shit. I know. You at hear all sorts of stuff about these voting machines. At the same time, I do want people to vote often uh, and early, but uh, all votes do need to be counted. Maria is telling me so. Uh, Maria is a youngster. She is a youngin, and she has her finger on the pulse of these things like Kahoot. Never knew what the hell that was. What um, the hell is that? You don't know what that is, but you're like all nerdy and techy. Oh no, I, I'm getting old now. I, I, I will, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aging out of it. I think you're aging out of the program. Um, someone just said more Latin America. Okay, I will have more Latin American guests. Uh, but you know, also give me, give me. I, I would like some positive reinforcement for responding mm -hmm. to the people. Um, by uh, bringing on uh, Kshama Sawant, who I wanted to have on anyway, again, but very excited about this. So let's oh, this read chat, some they're never going to be happy. I know, they're never, yeah. They're Mr. never going to be happy. Mr. Standard <laughs> writes, uh, excited for the Katie Halper regime. Thanks for giving Councilwoman Sawant time on your platform. Yes, I'm platforming Kshama Sawant. Peggy Dunham, uh, I really enjoy your show and all the people you have on. And Jack, oh, and then wow. little smiley heart faces. Um, How nice. Uh Oh, wait, I didn't I didn't highlight it. I got to highlight it. OK, uh, then we got who else we got here? Uh, Leaf Nobody. Thanks for having Shama on your show. ABC. Yeah, yeah. Ask about the line three pipeline in Minnesota. Biden canceled Keystone, but needs to cancel line three, too. OK, well, someone right. remind me about that. Isn't if I Dapple forget. still happening, too? Is, yeah, is, I think so. Yeah. We're going to, you know, uh, that's really Dallas and Josh's lane. So yeah. that's their their pipelines, if you will. So we'll have to uh, have to be talking about that. Uh, Rebecca's really excited. Everyone's excited. This is a great, great show. This is a great time to be alive, it, but wow. a very hard time to be alive. Honestly, it's 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 hard to say. It's a revoke the XL permit. Sorry, did not cancel the pipeline. Important distinction. Thank you, Kyle Smith, and that's why I'm bringing on these experts because they know what they're talking about. I just uplift them, and I was really making sure that you guys were on your toes, um, and I was trying to see if anyone would notice, and you guys did. So you passed the test. So it's not cancellation, and we're not cancel. We don't. We don't cancel people, but we do cancel pipelines. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yep. That's good, right? Yeah, I like that. We do cancel pipelines. Yeah. Yeah. Cancel culture. Cancel culture pipelines are good. You know, I, I got to tell you what, Katie, I'll be honest with you. I I have been, I just feel depressed, honestly. Really? It's so depressing. The fucking Biden culture is driving me out of my mind. Seeing the press posture with Biden and, uh, you know, Based like, you know, that they're uh, seeing sorry, how sorry, non Jack, I'm sorry you don't have your president who you like. Uh, I Donald know, Trump I know. Office, but yeah. seeing just seeing how non-adversarial that they're going to be uh, and just like the first days of reaction to, to the Biden cabinet and just the kind of feeling by liberals of like we've done it, you know, even looking even watching all the pomp and circumstance of the fucking, you know, inauguration, which I thought everybody was going to be over all that stuff because we just watched like the pig man Donald Trump do it. But no, we still love watching people like wear nice outfits and show up dressed nicely to look at fucking fireworks. You know, it's just like I'm like, good God, what a fucking rancid week. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Also, do you know what? Um, uh, By the way, uh, I'll, people are asking where that the um, the link is to the, the vote. 
Brad or Maria, would you mind posting the link to uh, the chat so people know where it is? Um, also, I want to show this thing. Let me just open this up. We got a great uh, Bernie thing. What were you just saying, Jack? Because I wanted to meant you were saying adversarial. What were you saying? Just the press, the press, the the posture by the press. Uh, press uh, and you know, like that, like seeing, yeah. like you know, and just like the you know the 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 pomp and circumstance pomp of and circumstance. Uh, the the inauguration and how I thought we'd be over that after watching Trump do it and everything like that, and frankly, just watching. Like the bizarre video of these people watch fireworks, like standing in a big giant ring light. Douglas Emhoff, you know, the entertainment lawyer and second gentleman. I'm just like, good lord. Oh yeah, we gotta do a, a fucking... deep dive onto him because he's super. Oh, Douglas Emhoff super is problematic, an interest... right? I, I also just am like, what a character. You know what I mean? Like, what a representative of you know just the kind of like managerial order. You know, the corporate culture that like, you know, this administration comes out of like this guy who was just like a, a lawyer at the law firm where Cole Sprouse was represented. It's an entertainment law firm. Wait, what's Cole Sprouse? Cole Sprouse is just some TV actor. I just looked up their clients and I'm oh, like, oh, I didn't know if it's Cole, like it's big just, Cole. Okay. They're just an entertainment lawyer, law firm. Right. Like they do like law for, you know, like. Yeah actors and stuff like right. that so you know uh um like this guy the second gentleman douglas emhoff you know is now just <laughs> Jew jewish right has to be jewish right i guess he must be but you know he's hey, just doesn't now get, he doesn't the get second a gentleman anything, you got to be twice as good for me if you're jewish you know what i mean <laughs> oh i don't know it's i mean all I'm Jew just... everyone know yeah you can't say that i can say that because i'm jewish in fact i must say that um but uh also, so someone says I should go to law school. Why? It's funny because I often consider going to law school. Wow. Um, I, I would, you know, one at one time I thought about, I was like, you know, maybe I should like be a lawyer. My friend was like, you wouldn't like it. They have to read like so much. Yeah. And I, I was like, man, I enjoyed maybe it that's right, I actually. An, <laughs> I, I took an undergrad class and I actually really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it was problems in criminal law. I really like it. Maybe I'll audit some law school classes. Could I be could, fun. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what's going on with someone who, uh, by the way, did, someone got fired at the New York Times? Yeah, so this lady got fired at the New York Times. God, it, it just is obnoxious. Like, we just live in such obnoxious culture. But so I guess this lady posted when Biden was landing, I have chills or some stupid shit. It's mm -hmm. such normie fucking New York Times right. writer. A bunch of conservatives got very upset about it and like we're posting it everywhere. And it went, it got to the point where New York Post was like posting paparazzi pictures of the woman who like wrote this tweet. Then she got fired. So, and now they're blaming Glenn Greenwald yeah, for it because what's up with he, that? Because they, because he posted the tweet originally, which was an embarrassing tweet. But Glenn yes. is not saying he's to not fucking calling, fire anybody or whatever. The, the whole I, thing yes. is the, I, such yeah. a joke. It's like, like the conservatives got themselves all super over whipped up about it, yeah. and the absolutely cowardly, you know, uh, people who run the New York Times right. like just fired her because it was easier or whatever. It's such a pathetic. Controversy. Yeah. The New York Times told all their writers to go on Twitter and get blue check marks and become like influencers. Yeah. And now they're firing them over saying the most boring NPR normie I shit know. ever. You know, what I mean? fire, like, you know what's, what makes me angry? <laughs> they did not fire Barry Weiss. Yeah, Barry That's Weiss right. is jealous, right? Fired In herself. Fact, you know she what? fired herself by saying like everyone was like mad at me. <laughs> yeah. Also, we should let's do a let's try to do a live tweet. What we blame this on uh on Glenn Greenwald. So so, so what what can we blame on, on Glenn? Let's see. 
It's not even like the normal. He's a Russian. It is so funny. Like he just complained. He just complained about, you know, (laughs) an annoying tweet, which I'm like, I agree that tweet was annoying. He didn't say that they should get fired, though. You know what I I mean? I can't believe Glenn Greenwald, what, held it. What what would it be? Greenwald. Glenn Greenwald. Because it is like dressed up as Trump. Like whipped up all those protesters. Oh, I was gonna say he like held a <laughs> gun know. to the to the head of the New York Times. <laughs> right. Person. Yes. Uh, held a gun to the editor in chief's head. Demand the firing of Lauren Wolf, but he's acting on Putin's orders. And then maybe parenthetical on Putin's orders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Should we tag him? Here. He's a friend of the show. Uh. Yeah. Go. Go ahead. Why not? You know, well, yeah, I, don't know. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a, a yeah, let's see. How's this? I can't believe Glenn Greenwald flew from Brazil to the United States. Went past security. What? I just think this is a funny image, but maybe it's just me. Got past security. But no. It's the court for like the it is so not that bad. Like for, the, I mean, for the, like for the most basic resistance lib tweet of all time. All right. We should probably have like uh, a thing where we do like just spitball, like live tweets. <laughs> just, I don't yeah. know. Let's, let's show see how, how the sausage is made. Yeah, show how Maybe the sausage the sa- is made. It is, yeah. it is different though to do it, is, it right? you know, it's in, like on, on like performance. It's anxiety. like a different type of, you Ooh. know, you have to like fall into the doing the posts. You know what I mean? Like, I look at it almost as like a fugue state. Like, if I'm really posting, you know, I'm not really, I'm just. You know, it's like you, going right, into Tron or something. You know yeah, what I mean? If, like if you're I'm aware in the, of it, you're not really Matrix. doing it. It's like when people say, like, if you lived through, the, if you remember the '60s, you weren't really there. <laughs> right. I'm just like I'm like in a in a fugue state. Yeah. Um. Okay, that's good, right? Yeah, I, I mean, think it's that's decent. It's fine. Yeah, I think it's good enough. You know, it's good enough. It's a It'll decent do. tweet. That'll we'll do. See. Yeah, that'll do, pig. That'll, that'll do, submit. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. fine. We can yeah. hit send on yeah. that. Hilarious live tweeting now. Um. You can hit Sadden on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a couple minutes. You want to watch one video? But, Jack, sure. we do such... Yeah, let's do one. We do do such, like, deep... Um, what's the word? Exegesis that... Uh, let's see. Sorry. Um, yeah, no. I, we eat up no, so much I time. No, I do. It's very good. And everyone follow Case Study if you are not already. Um, let us see. Uh, which one is good? There are a lot of good ones. Um, there's a good, of course, Russia one. There's a good Journey <sighs> one. Hold on. Let's see where this one is. Um... Oh, we got to talk about Pfizer later. By the way, please remind me to talk about Pfizer because I can't. I need their head on a. I am going to call for some harsh action, but I'll tell you about that in a second. Okay, let's watch this. This kind. This one is interesting and ironic, and it's like really. Okay, you like my description? Yeah, it's like this one will make I, you say, "What the heck." <laughs> Things that make you go, hmm. Yeah, you guys exactly. know that reference? That's um, from, yeah. what are they called? Things, I don't even remember. CNC Music Factory. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let me just do this. Yeah. Uh, I know what we're going to, this is going to be our T-A-I-C of, of the night. It may take you a while to remember what that is, but don't worry. We're going to tell you what it is in a second. All right. So here is uh, CNN. Jerry Hibble. The U.S. State Department, the EU, and the British Foreign Secretary have all condemned Russia for using force against opposition protesters. Tens of thousands of people demonstrated across the country Saturday. Hundreds of people were detained and police were seen wielding batons on the crowd. The protesters were demanding the release of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. 
his arrest lasting sparked widespread outrage. Yeah. I I honestly, it's so funny to watch a clip like that. And then I'm like, I just watched a clip of the U.S. police, like running people over with a car from last night. You know what what I mean? I'm like, we're not watching that. But like, I literally watched them like plow people over just lights on in a car. At least two people were injured when a police officer responding to a report of a street race plowed his car through a crowd of pedestrians that had gathered around him. And we're pounding on the car's windows in downtown Tacoma on Saturday night. Uh, And it happened uh, as about 100 people were blocking an intersection and watching several cars spinning in circles, police told the News Tribune of Tacoma. Police car arrived and drove through the crowd after people tried to block the vehicle, a witness said. Horrendous, um, really horrendous, horrendous footage. Really, Video really posted terrifying. on social media shows the police car hitting several people and running over at least one person. Uh, he had tire marks all over his body. Witness Corey Lease told KTBS TV, belly Jesus. out. His shoes were off. Honestly, it was like something out of a movie. You can yeah. watch bodies just being run over by right. a police car. Yeah, we actually have it. I mean, is this going to get the well, well, is this dangerous footage to play? I don't think you'll get like pulled down for okay, it or yeah. anything, but if do people that, we are don't want to see it. something gruesome, then yes, look I'll away. Give a war- for a yeah, moment, I'll give you know? a warning. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Okay, so um, I would. It would be great. So basically, the point is, it would be great if all those people condemned the violence here as well as the um, stuff in in Russia. And maybe uh, actually, to be honest with you, American news should show it. You know what I mean? Like we're watching this footage of you know the the, the violence in the streets uh, in Russia. Yeah, it's really yeah. actually it's really not even like comparable compared to what is happening right now in the street. Good lord! Yeah. Oh so, my god! Yeah. Let me just show this. And also Ugh. remember, this is um. I want to make sure I share the sound. But yeah, you're right. What we're seeing right now is not something that was covered by. Has this been covered by international news? I mean, I I, I I don't know if it's been covered by, like, American mainstream news. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know if we've seen this being played on CNN and them talking about that. Right. Good okay, so here, so here it is. Ready? Tacoma, Washington. Oh, trigger warning for 20 seconds, if you yeah. want to look away. Those people. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. Wow. Holy fuck. Oh That's God. the United States. That's right here. That's right here. The U.S. of you A. Know, that does not look, that looks much worse than the baton holders in Russia forming yeah. a line, you know? The other thing, you know, I'd say about Russia is that, you know, the uh, the party that usually comes in second place in a lot of the elections yeah. um, is the Russian Communist Party. Um, you know, so uh, uh, a lot of the focus on Navalny, uh, uh, while it is fucked up that you know he got poisoned or whatever, right. uh, that's not you know it's 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 focus uh, in place of that they're you know that uh, uh, you know they never would want to say like okay maybe we should support the Russian Communist Party <laughs> you know what I mean it's right. just oh, yeah, Navalny this guy right 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 you're saying like they're not framing it as we don't um, we don't get it framed as like you know oh Putin you know holds down the Russian Communist Party right, which always right. comes in second place right you know yeah. what I mean it's like oh this guy Navalny oh, this the Juan Guaido of uh, <laughs> right right right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Russia yeah yeah David David thank you for the super sticker. Um, and yeah, whenever, um, oh, our guest is here. This is so exciting. Okay, guys. So remember, um, just give, I'll give you 30 seconds to share. You guys share this and also, um, like the stream because we want to make sure that people, uh, come to watch this interview with, um, Kashama Sawant. 
uh, Sawant and and yeah, so just do a little tweet, tweet this out, Facebook it out, Instagram it out, whatever you want to do, because this is a very uh, important interview and we need to get this story out because she is facing, as we said earlier, a recall effort. And uh, speaking of Washington, uh, we are going to welcome in the Seattle City Councilwoman, Kashama Sawant. Hello, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You're so busy, uh, not only fighting the good fight, but fighting against the bad recall. So can you just tell people what you are in the midst of? Yes, as you were mentioning earlier, Katie, uh, uh, my office is facing a recall campaign from the right wing and from Seattle's big business. And on the face of it, the charges are about uh, actually are uh, the, the my office's role in the Black Lives Matter movement. And factually speaking, Every charge is a false charge, but what it really represents, I mean, you know, what is this recall really about is that they are absolutely infuriated at the phenomenal impact that uh, my office and the movements that we have helped lead, the socialist impact that we've had winning uh, the uh, country's first uh, major city $15 minimum wage. Last year, the Amazon tax, the ban on chemical weapons and other crowd control weapons, the first in the nation kind of ban. And they couldn't defeat us in the elections in 2019. And, you know, in 2019, uh, we won our second re-election or our third third election. And so what the ruling class, what the right wing, what big business, and actually what the democratic establishment of Seattle are angry about is not that we don't keep our promises. They are angry precisely because we might be virtually the only elected office really uh, in the entire United States, which actually keeps our promises, but not only in name, we use our office as a platform for building mass movements to win those victories because we know that as a lone socialist in elected office, as an independent fighting against a democratic establishment, you cannot make this a contest of one individual's morals or backbone against this entire establishment. Mm-hmm. You have to use your office to build social movements, mass movements, because those mass movements, independent of the establishment, are the only uh, strength you have uh, to overturn this otherwise ruthless status quo of balance of forces. And that's what we have done. We have won victories. We have empowered ordinary people. And the example of what we have done has been contagious. And that is exactly what the ruling class fears, that example of what can be done, how working people can get organized in solidarity and fight back. And that is why they are going after my office, but I'm hardly the first person they're going after. I won't be the last. And that is why it's so uh, incredibly important you're covering this issue on your show because the left in the entire United States should join us in defeating this recall. Can you just talk about who the last person who was recalled was? Yes, actually, um, I when I was elected in 2000, when I was first elected in 2013, November, it was about a century after the last socialist was elected in Seattle, and that was for the school board. It was a woman named Anna Louise Strong. And in fact, she was later, she also faced a recall campaign and unfortunately she was, she did end up getting recalled and that was during the first world war. And she got recalled because of being outspoken about her opposition to the war and also for her open support of the wobblies, you know, the, uh, um, the workers. workers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who, what is the same for international workers of the world, right? I yeah, workers of the world who were also courageously opposing the First World War. 
And uh, if you'll remember, it, it, it was that same year that Eugene Debs, the most important socialist of American history, who was also charged with sedition for his speech against the war. And he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And that sentence was upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. And, and you know, that is a reminder for us that the courts are not on our side. The police are not on the side of movement. You just showed this horrifying footage from Tacoma. And so while we await the ruling from the Supreme Court of Washington State, we are in no way basing our faith on the court system of capitalism. And that is why we have launched a really vibrant and important solidarity campaign against this recall that everybody who's watching this needs to get involved in with us. And I would also say that, you know, we are not uh, in a defensive posture. It is absolutely critical that we take this recall campaign against us seriously. But the best way of fighting, as you know, the best defense is to go on the offensive. And that's why we are fighting to extend the eviction moratorium here by a whole year. We are fighting to have guaranteed legal counsel for renters facing eviction because we know renter debt and the coming evictions are a tsunami in the making. We're also fighting for comprehensive COVID relief by increasing the Amazon tax that we just won. And so I just want to make sure, uh, is it's solidarity.us.org? They, they can find uh, the information about our solidarity campaign against the recall can be found at shamasolidarity.org. So that's my first name, K-S-H-A-M-A, solidarity.org. Okay. Can you talk about the gains that you've managed to achieve? I mean, they're pretty stunning, especially because I think that a lot of people think of local politics as not very sexy or interesting or exciting, but you guys have, have managed to do a lot. Can you just talk about some of those victories? Absolutely. Well, as I said, when we ran in 2013 and when we won, we, we ran our campaign with a concrete political and economic demands that energized working people without which we wouldn't have won. So, you know, for the left and for the socialist movement in the United States, I think that's a really important example mm -hmm. that our election campaigns themselves have to be vehicles to energize people into a movement around concrete demands. And we ran on $15 an hour taxing the wealthy and big business and for rent control in Seattle because rents are through, through the stratosphere. And then when we won, I just wanted to share the story, you know, that we, when we won the uh, election and I took office, you know, in the first couple of weeks in January of 2014, a couple of the corporate Democratic council members, and, and I'll just share with everybody on your show, there isn't a Republican force, so to say, in, in Seattle City Hall. There are eight Democrats and I'm one socialist. So it's right. always been that way for the whole seven and a half years that I've been in office. And so uh, in my first couple of weeks in office, two of the corporate Democratic council members came into my office, sat me down and privately warned me that even though I had rabble roused my way into office, I was not going to win any minimum wage increase, much less $15 an hour. And they kindly informed me that City Hall ran on their terms. By June of that year, we had won the unanimous and historic city council vote, including those two council members who are actually anti-worker and pro-big business, who voted yes because of the tremendous pressure we had generated by using my office to launch the 15 Now campaign. That is the approach that Socialist Alternative, my organization, political organization, has taken for all our campaigns. We don't make it about an individual or one organization. We use 
uh, everything we've got to help launch these bigger movements. And so we launched the 15 Now campaign alongside progressive labor unions, other socialists, uh, other rank and file Democrats, all of which overcame not only the vicious opposition of big business and corporate Democrats, but it's important to mention it also overcame the cautious instincts of some of the labor leaders reluctant mm-hmm. to openly clash with the establishment. And it, it, it is with that kind of clash that we won also the Amazon tax last summer, which raises $214 million by taxing the largest corporations like Amazon to fund social housing and Green New mm-hmm. Deal programs. We have, a, we have won a whole series of renters' rights victories, including, again, the only kind in the nation, a ban on winter evictions. Wow. So you were able to galvanize popular, I guess, mass movements against the very your, your colleagues who warned you against doing that, right? So they wound up voting with you against the position that they claimed that they were going to have. How were you able to do that? I mean, and I know it's not about one individual, but how did that happen? Well, I would say the the fact that fundamentally the approach that we have used from day one, when we launched our campaign for city council in the early months of 2013, we were very clear. And when I say we, I mean Socialist Alternative and I, that if we are going to run a campaign, it has to be uh, with the very clear understanding that the only way you can fight back, let alone win against this massive political establishment that stands uh, you know, that represents the interest of Wall Street and you represent the interest of ordinary people. The only way you can change this, uh, as I said before, ruthless balance of power is if, if you have a movement that empowers you, because otherwise, what do you have? Otherwise, your only options are staying true to your principles, but getting completely marginalized and winning nothing. And really, more, and more importantly than that, energizing no movements at all for further victories or you end up selling out. Those are your options unless you empower yourself with a movement around you. That's the blanket you have to wrap yourself uh, with because that is the only thing that uh, works. And that is the approach we have used from day one. And I think it's also important to talk about what kind of movements. we're talk- When I say independent mass movements, I don't use the word independent lightly. It means movements that are independent of the political establishment that do not rely on so-called progressive Democrats who say the right things, but then often betray ordinary people and movements that are democratically organized within themselves so that all the movement leaders, even those who don't have elected positions, you know, all the people who rise up as leaders of the movement can also be held accountable to the interests of the rank and file. So just to give you an example, when we launched the Tax Amazon campaign in January of last year, we absolutely insisted, Socialist Alternative absolutely insisted alongside some of the very wonderful left unions that we need a a leadership of the movement that is thoroughly accountable to the hundreds, thousands of people who were fighting alongside us. And so to that end, rather than taking decisions among few leading activists in a closed room, we ended up making everything transparent and we held a three, four mass action conferences with hundreds attending and actually having democratic discussion and debate at those action conferences on the key elements, both of the policy itself, but also of the political strategy. How are we going to win this? You know, how, how are we actually going to put pressure 
on a democratic dominated council. So all of that was openly discussed and debated in the movement and votes were taken democratically. And that's what empowered our movement. And last but not least, I'll say, you know, having socialist alternative as my own organization an organization that is itself accountable to ordinary people to the movement that we are rooted in uh, and that is itself internally democratically organized ha has also been decisive in enabling me to take on the pressure of conflict and and it, and it is daily relentless pressure and without your own political organization that can become the backbone of your own morale and your ability to build movements, this can't be done. And that's why I would say that it's urgent that our movements nationally take seriously the need to build our own party, a party mm. by and for the working class. Uh, this is a question from who, who burns, um, get him silent. But on a side note, why is it always the right wing doing these recalls rather than lefties recalling corporate hacks? And, and, and related to that also, can you just explain who is like behind, even though you have your corporate Dem uh, enemies, can you explain who is really behind the recall effort? Yes, absolutely. And I think that the, the, the question raises a very important point about how uh, when we talk about accountability, for example, I just mentioned a new, uh, the question of a new party for the working class and for the oppressed of America, certainly in such a party, and, and, and definitely I can tell you we, we follow this principle inside socialist alternative, we want such a new party to be democratically organized and be accountable to rank and file members. I mean, you know, if you're a Democrat, when was the last time you were invited by Nancy Pelosi for a membership meeting where you could take a vote on any issue of substance? I mean, the- oh, I the voted on the ice cream. She let me go through her freezer <laughs> and asked me what's my favorite. Sorry, I, I, wow. I stand, I stand yeah, corrected. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so, uh, that, so the, the right to recall representatives who betray the interests of the ordinary people and members of, of the working class party has to be a core component. And we, as I said, we certainly believe in that in socialist alternative, and that is necessary to keep our representatives accountable because our representatives will come under intense pressure. And I can testify to that from personal experience. Uh, and so, you know, th that's an interesting point that, you know, we, while we need to fight for a party that will actually allow rank and file to hold members accountable. On the other hand, the kind of recall we are facing is absolutely not that kind of recall. It's actually a recall campaign with, as I said, trumped up charges. Uh, that has been motivated by the right wing, by big business. And I will say it is not just the right wing. It's, uh, and, and by the way, just on the right wing, I'll mention, you asked me who who is behind it. I'll tell you one example is Martin Selig, who is a billionaire. One of the buildings, for example, he owns is in Seattle downtown, which ICE rents from him. And wow. uh, yeah, and he's uh, he's one of the maxed out uh, Trump supporters. I think he he, he donated big for... Donald Trump in 2016. I, I think he must have donated this year as well. And there are other real estate, corporate real estate interests behind this campaign. But I should also say, if, if you don't mind, uh, you know, just for a couple of minutes, of course, yeah. I, th I think it's important to understand also that uh, who's behind, uh, you know, whether somebody is actually behind this recall. Uh, has to be examined also by understanding who really wants us out. And I think that includes the democratic establishment mm -hmm. as a whole. 
Uh, and it's important to see what happened in the election in 2019. And uh, as, I, uh, as, as some of you may know, actually in the primary elections of 2019, not only did we have a chamber, you know, U.S. Chamber of Commerce backed candidate. So obviously he was the Amazon candidate whom we ended up defeating in the general election. But in the primary election, we had another candidate who was running who had been put forward by the Latina and self-professed progressive Democrats on the city council who are currently serving with me. And they went around the media telling stories to the media saying, you know, I agree with everything Shama stands for. I just don't like her. And so we're going to have this nice progress. It was going to be nice. And I think we have to, you know, first of all, we have to reject these personalized attacks, these, these falsified personalized attacks. We have to be, we cannot be coy about rejecting them. Uh, but it's also important to note that this kind of fake respectability politics, mm. when they're not, you know, they're hardly being respectable to me. Right. But the point is that uh, this is not a personal question. What they are, when they use respectability politics, it's a weapon against left politics mm. yeah. because what they are actually trying to discourage you from doing and what they're criticizing you for is for being fearless in pushing back against the establishment and calling out mm. their own betrayals. And this is where I think the rubber hits the road is that it's easy to identify right-wing politicians and yeah. obviously pro-corporate politicians like Nancy Pelosi. But it is also important to understand that as long as we have progressive politicians who are not actually willing to risk their careers to right. fight for us, it, 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 there is no change happening. And so we have to reject that kind of sort of two-facedness as well. However well-meaning a politician yeah. might be, it's of no use if they're not going to, will, uh, going to fight for you. Yeah, it's a weaponization of uh, respectability politics and also mm -hmm. civility politics. And we see this a lot. Um, you know, people getting offended. How dare you say that about this person? Uh, you know, friend of the show, Brianna Joy Gray, who uh, was Bernie's press secretary, tweeted once um, when I think it was uh, Kamala Harris said something about how people need um, free, what was it? Like free, you know, treatment for COVID for everyone or vaccine for everyone. And, and Brie tweeted something like that. What about diabetes and cancer? Her point was like, we need Medicare for all, not right. just in the cases of, of a pan global pandemic. And people were like, how dare you? Kamala's mother died of cancer. And it's like, really? Like, really? That's what, Good first Lord. of all, that's not what it was about. She should Second care all, more. She should care yeah, more Yeah, exactly. Then you're welcome for raising right. awareness about this stuff. But yeah, that is really dangerous. And so is there anyone who has been, if, feel free to call people out. Anyone you want to call out or call in or urge to support you or do you want to thank anyone who has supported you? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I would say uh, what's incredible is the incredible support and solidarity we are getting from ordinary people, from union members. Just yesterday, we had a major fundraiser for the Shama Solidarity Campaign with labor union members. Uh, and we're getting support from not only in our district, in District 3, where where our seat exists, but also from the left and from socialists around the nation. We've received endorsements from Chris Hedges, from Noam Chomsky, from Julia Salazar, wow. who's a DSA elected candidate in New York. I think these are very, very important uh, points of support. And uh, what's, uh, of course, what's, um, what's notable is the deafening silence of the Democratic council members in on the Seattle City Council itself. Yeah, we should put up some pictures or tell us their names. We'll do a little, we'll look and we'll put them on the screen. <laughs> call them Actually, out. you know, can, can I just say, you know, I mean, we've obviously had this recall targeted against us, but in the last few days, 
my office has also received death yes. threats from very specific Jesus. death threats. Um, and unfortunately, these, these seem to be coming from the email account of a Seattle firefighter, you know, city of Seattle firefighter. Wow. And so, Actually, yeah, if you don't mind, um, I have some of the emails that you got just so people have a sense of what you were subjected to. Shama, I can't believe you are still here. Are your people so dumb that you cannot get a clue even when we hit you in the face with it? I'm always all ears and hear everything. Get out of the city or else. I feel it best if you just leave town, if you know it's good. You would know it's time to go. If you need help leaving, try jumping head first off the top floor of your building. I'll even come push you. Shama, it's the new year and you have not listed your resignation. It is time for you to go, Ms. Councilwoman. If you don't willing leave, we will make that decision for you by any means necessary. The time is here and you will not have a place after tomorrow, Councilwoman. Announce your resignation now or else. I just meant to say that, I mean, I've been moved by the incredible... I just meant to say, I mean, we've obviously had this recall targeted against us, but in the last few days... My office has also received death yes. threats from very specific Jesus. death threats. Um, and unfortunately, these, these seem to be coming from the email account of a Seattle firefighter, you know, city of Seattle firefighter. Wow. And so uh, I just meant to say that, I mean, I've been moved by the incredible outpouring of support and solidarity from every corner that we've received against these threats. I mean, people are horrified to hear about it, especially in the atmosphere of the rise of the far right, you know, Trump threatening to build a new far right party, uh, and right wing party and, you know, the attacks against the, on the Capitol building in DC. Uh, so people, you know, people, you know, you, you've got to be living under a rock if you're not worried about the rise of right populism. But again, uh, deafening silence from city council members. I know you've already been so generous. I do you have how much time do you more time do you have? Because I know you have a recall to fight. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to. I can do this after. Well, you're gone I'll be too, honest. I'm, I'm I'm loving this conversation. So oh, if you great. want me to stay for a few minutes, I'm happy. Great, thank you. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to ask you to. I have your letter opened. Um, I don't know if you want to read part any part of it, but I thought your response to this um, threat was really. You know, if if I've ever seen an example of um, when they go low. We go uh, universal, uh, you know, uh, solidarity, right? So here's, this is the, the letter that you wrote. Can you just set this up? And then if there's any part you want to read or I can read it or um, this was in response, right? To the, uh, the threatening emails you received. Yes, uh, this was this was the letter. I mean, I sent two. Uh, I sent one public letter both to the mayor and the police chief and the fire chief, but and I also included the president of the firefighters local union. But this is a letter I sent after that. I sent yesterday to the president of the firefighters local, Kenny Stewart, and I said, uh, "Brother Kenny." Thank you for your email responding to the threats that have been directed at my office as a fellow union member in AFT 1789, that's a teacher's union that I'm a part of. I know you'll agree with me that the strength of the labor movement lies in the power of solidarity between us all as workers and our power in moving that solidarity into action. In the words of some of the proud sisters and brothers that helped build the labor movement in the very early days of the 19th and 20th centuries, an injury to one is an injury to all. I believe violent far-right views and threats have no place in our labor movement. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, if you can just scroll sure, of course. down, um, I uh, I just want to read one other part of it. Of um, 
Do I go down uh, or up? Or if you tell me the word, I can do an apple F and find the, it. <laughs> just, just go a little bit up. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, where it says the billionaire class, that's the part I want. Uh, where is that? Oh, there we are. I think where? the labor movement cannot afford to allow these ideas. Yeah, that's where it is. If you can, if you just leave it there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, what I was trying to point out is that uh, the specific dangers of this kind of divisions inside the labor movement where we don't present a united left alternative uh, that can actually end up leaving ordinary people as fodder for right mm -hmm. populism. And the point I'm making in this in this letter is that uh, we the reason we I mean, one of the big reasons we have to reject these right wing anti-worker ideas, including sexism and racism uh, is because the labor movement cannot afford to allow these ideas to gain ground because they only serve to empower the billionaire class. They make mm -hmm. it harder for us to unite against systemic inequality and to fight together to win the good standards of living all workers deserve. And I'm really glad you're, you're sharing this letter um, uh, because, you know, I, I think uh, contrary to making this about one person or one public figure, I think the, the, the truth is that the ruling class, the far right, they will go after uh, one person because it's easier for them to go after one person, tear them down, and then hence weaken the movement. And that's why it's, it's it, the onus is on us to actually remind people that this is not about one person and that the ruling class has a history and there's a history uh, under capitalism where the most courageous and the most visible left leaders, labor leaders, the Trotskyists in the labor movement and um, uh, courageous people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, these were all gone after, not because they feared just those individuals, but they feared the ideas they represent. I mean, it was no mm -hmm. coincidence that MLK was assassinated at a time yeah. when he was recognizing that it's important to unite workers of all races because this mm -hmm. is a war against poverty and capitalism and that we need socialism. And so building this kind of solidarity is going to be absolutely crucial. It's also crucial for every single battle. I mean, look at the courageous, for example, Amazon warehouse workers in Alabama who are fighting to unionize now. And you just heard the shameless corporation now is trying to hold an in-person vote because they know it will de depress turnout during COVID. But the point being, disgusting. That, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. But for any unionizing struggle, anybody who has fought to unionize their workplace will know the kind of solidarity you need to build among workers. So what does that mean? That means that the left... The leaders on the left, the socialist movement, we have to understand the strategy of uniting ordinary people and to understand how we can fight against specific oppressions while at the same time uniting people around working class demands that matter to all of us. I mean, that's the specific task at hand. Yeah. And also, of course, you know, Neil, we focus a lot on the show uh, and Chris Hedges does, too, and Noam Chomsky on how the, the neoliberal Democrats um, embolt, really foster the growth of the uh, the far right because right. Uh, they don't actually provide. And I'm not I'm not like blame. I'm not exonerating people, but, uh, you know, who engage in the Capitol riots with the, uh, you know, intent of being, you know, killing someone. But um, 
And not all of them did, honestly. And again, this is not me trying to romanticize the people who stormed it. But, uh, you know, the Dems, like if we, if the Dems don't deliver, this is like, if they don't provide an alternative, a socialist alternative, if you will, or at least, you know, some kind of alternative, right. people do feel like they don't have anywhere to go. Um, not all of them, but yeah. I mean, I would also say that the, our elected Democrats, like, you know, have have basically like coddled this ideology up until it was Trump and they were personally right. offended by him. You know what I mean? And I frankly worry that uh, under, you know, the, the new Congress and Senate and Biden that we're going to get right back to that sort of policy of appeasement. You know, yeah. uh, already Biden has talked about nothing but, you know, uh, uh, coming together and yeah. reconciliation and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I worry that we're just going to get back to like, Okay, Trump is done, and so of course Ted Cruz is not as bad. You know what I mean? Right. Kind of politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, I think that's a very important question. I mean, you know, the the most crucial historic question of our times is over 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. Right. Unless somebody is making a serious argument, which they aren't, but and they shouldn't because it would be ridiculous. But, but unless somebody is making a serious argument that they're all irredeemably, irredeemably reactionary, right. far right uh, uh, supporters, um, then the question is, what is the strategy to win yeah. the majority of them right. over away from dangerous right wing and, uh, you know, right populist to begin with, but then more dangerously far right reactionary ideas? Mm -hmm. Uh, the only way you can do that is by building a genuine left alternative. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, the Biden administration obviously has announced a somewhat substantial COVID relief package. They're also talking about a $15 minimum wage. What this shows, of course, is a tremendous pressure that the Democratic Party is under both with the expectation from ordinary people who, you know, correctly are heaving a sigh of relief. Trump is gone, uh, you know, in that sense. Uh, and that the, the expectation that this new administration needs to stand in contrast with that disastrous and reactionary Trump regime. So this is putting a lot of pressure on the Democratic Party. And also uh, they are facing the pressure from the sheer scale of the crisis of capitalism that they are now going to be presiding over. But already, as you said, you know, as, as Biden announced his plan, uh, and as is characteristic of the democratic establishment, he's already declared his willingness to compromise with the Republicans. So it's not uh, guaranteed yet what exactly will be passed by Congress. I expect that the $15 minimum wage will face likely opposition, serious opposition mm -hmm. from the ruling class. But more broadly, you know, we would expect that while certainly needing to carry out a relief package, the democratic establishment will not use their majorities to actually fight for ordinary people and will fail to resolve mm -hmm. these, you know, compounded crises facing most of America. And in this context, as they try to make working people pay for the crisis instead of big business, it is likely to increase the legitimacy of right populist yeah. ideas unless the left builds significant. And, you know, so we, we need, we need a fight for the demands, like you were saying, Katie, that have, uh, enormous majorities, not just among Democrats, but enormous majorities among Americans as mm -hmm. a whole, including Republicans, yeah. like Medicare for all. We need a massive green jobs program, all of this funded by taxing Wall Street. And that would actually mm -hmm. unite working class people. Yeah, it's so incredible because all the things that you're saying are things that people dismiss as utopian or great ideas, mm -hmm. but it just can't happen. And so, so it's so important to highlight like when people do do this and how they do implement it. And so much of what people, there's this interesting division, right? Or maybe boring division, but I think it's somewhat important to look at um, 
which is the disingenuous versus the just not just versus people who just drink the Kool-Aid. And I don't even mean like that in a negative way. I mean, the entire media and political apparatus is constantly telling us that things like Medicare for all or, you know, taxing corporations that they, those are great ideas. They just can't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have some people knowing that they are great ideas that you have some people knowing they can happen. And that's why they have to say they can't happen. But then you have some people who legit just hear that and assume that that's true. And so we have to be able to reach that second group by highlighting things, including your campaign. Um, people are already asking how to support and uh, donate to your campaign. If they go to kshamasolidarity.org, it's very easy to donate online. And if you want to send a check, there's a PO box address as well. And absolutely, we need uh, solidarity, financial contributions. Obviously, we, we don't have the money that the billionaire class has, which is the whole point. I mean, that's why this system is dysfunctional. But we absolutely want to build, as I said, independent campaigns against the billionaire class, which means that working people and people who believe in fighting against injustice have to donate to our campaigns. Also, I do want to say that uh, Julia Salazar, Noam Chomsky, Chris Hedges, they've all been on the Katie Halper show. So there wow. you go. You got that Katie Halper show solidarity company. bump. Yeah, the, all of whom have, you know, uh, are defending... Uh, uh, Shama. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd love, I'm so, I mean, come back whenever I know you're busy, but I want to, uh, oh, sorry, Shama, the K is silent, Shama. I want to, is it silent? No problem. No? It's, oh, it's it not actually silent, but I, but you know what, even no. Indians find it hard to say it. So there you go. seriously, it doesn't Thank matter. You. Um, I want to, speaking of which I really would love to have, I mean, come back on. I'm so curious about your personal political evolution. Um, you know, cause it isn't about one person, but also these are teachable stories, right? Like, mm -hmm. Uh, so I think it's important for people to, uh, yeah, do you have, in a, in a sentence, could you say how you arrived at your politics? Well, I think it was the experience of growing up in India, uh, seeing the contrast between uh, just enormous wealth uh, for mm -hmm. owned by a sliver of humanity and then contrasted with an ocean of poverty and oppression and also understanding that, well, clearly the human society has reached, technologically speaking, reached a point where malnutrition, hunger, oppression does not need to exist. And it still exists. Clearly, mm. it's systemic. That was the starting point of my journey towards understanding uh, Marxism. Okay. Also, big shout out, the fact that you got uh, Julius, Al you know, social. there's a lot of intra-left fighting, as everyone here knows. So you got a nice socialist, because uh, Salazar is, of course, DSA, your socialist alternative. So we can get, we can bridge this divide. <laughs> Oh, and I should mention uh, Seattle DSA has, of course, endorsed our campaign. Oh, and they've also spoken out against the threats. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, well, can I just add, can yeah, I just add yeah, one yeah. thing? You know, yeah. you, you played this uh, important footage from oh, Tacoma yeah. and it's, it's just unspeakable. Uh, you know, uh, I mentioned that last summer during the height of the George Floyd protests, uh, my office and the Black Lives Matter movement, we won the first in the nation ban on police use and purchase of Web crowd, so-called crowd control weapons like tear gas and rubber right. bullets and blast balls. Well, under the pressure of the massive street protest, these Democrats were forced to vote yes on it. We won it unanimously. Do you know what they're getting ready to do on Tuesday? They're getting ready to completely dismantle that law wow. with all kinds of loopholes, which basically is a gutting of the legislation. So this, this shows you why... We have no time to lose right. to actually build a 
genuine working class alternative to the democratic establishment. And also shout out to your mayor who said something so amazing. What was it? It was like the police had turned off their body cams. Um, and she said something about how, you know, Seattle's always been progressive and they don't believe in the surveillance state. Um, that was oh some excuse God. for like why the police had engaged in something and they turn off their body cams or their dash cams, um, which was like the most Orwellian really. It was almost like a joke Awful. I would make in yeah. character. That's, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Sounds like a joke. I mean, this is this. this she is Amazon's mayor. Right. She is Comcast's mayor and she oversaw the incredible unleashing of tear gas and rubber bullets and blast balls uh, on peaceful protesters in you know, and, and, you know, actually, there was actually a grassroots recall against Mayor Durkin, which the Washington Supreme Court threw out. So it tells you that this uh, recall system under capitalism is not actually about recalling mm -hmm. politicians who have betrayed the interests right. of the majority of humanity. It's actually uh, the, the, it's used as a weapon against the left. Yeah, well, and I mean, if if. If, I don't even know if I should say this. What if this doesn't work out? What what can we do? Like, what should we be doing? And what are you going to do? Well, I if think at this point. Well, I, I think at this point it is extremely crucial that everybody focus on defeating the recall. We can defeat the recall, but we will need to again, you know, have the same strategy that the only way we can fight back is by building solidarity on the ground and really and having a fighting strategy, not expecting that the establishment or the courts are going to be on your side. Should be, people be making phone calls? Um, right now, what we need is support for the solidarity campaign in terms of financial contributions if you're outside Seattle. Uh, but if you want to help in other ways and you are outside Seattle, please, please send us an email uh, to the campaign. We will absolutely contact you. We are not short of ideas of how Things can be helped even if you're not in Seattle. And, you know, we're, most of our fundraiser act, fundraisers right now are actually on Zoom because of COVID. Of course, yeah. And you, the decision's going to be coming any minute now, right, from the court? Yes. I mean, every, every Thursday there's an expectation that the Supreme Court will deliver its ruling. It hasn't happened yet. But, you know, that's why it's important that we launched the solidarity campaign months ago because we cannot just wait around for the Supreme Court. And also, we don't expect the Supreme Court to be on our side because these are institutions of capitalism. Yeah, right. Of course. Well, thank you so much. And come back on again. We'd love to have you on. Um, there's so much I want to ask you about. So uh, thank you. And we'll stay on the story. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. Wow. That was, was that not great, guys? That was great. What a great guest. What a great Honestly. guest. You can find out more about Kshama at seattle.gov slash council slash sawant. You can follow her on Twitter at cmkshama and find out more about how to support her against the recall at Kshama Solidarity Campaign. And that's just at kshamasolidarity.org, as well as the Twitch show Jack AM. Corey Robin is Distinguished Professor of Political Science at Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. He's the author of The Enigma of Clarence Thomas, The Reactionary Mind, Conservatism from Edmund Burke to Donald Trump, and Fear, The History of a Political Idea. You can find out more about Corey at coreyrobin.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y-R-O-B-I-N.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Corey Robin. So let's, let's move um, to 
to the progressive mind of uh, Corey Robin and talk about his latest piece uh, on the question of impeachment and what it could mean. What is the thesis of this piece? I mean, the basic thesis is simple, that uh, impeachment could be, um, and, and sometimes in the past has been, a way that a party um, essentially repudiates and helps uh, destroy an existing regime. And I think the, 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 the classic example is the impeachment of Andrew Johnson. Um, you know, the, the Republican Party had you know, uh, led uh, the effort um, uh, to emancipate, um, to abolish slavery. And Andrew Johnson really, um, at the end of the Civil War, wanted to kind of drag the, you know, drag it back and, and stop that. And the Republican Party decided that, you know, they weren't going to have it. Uh, and he was impeached. He was acquitted by one vote. But essentially at that point, even though he remained in power, the Republican Party, the congressional Republicans, took over the process. And that's where, you know, you really get radical reconstruction. And so in theory, what we could have right now um, is if, if, if the Democratic Party were serious about repudiating the Reagan regime, the, the neoliberal regime, this would be a great opportunity, unlike the first impeachment of Trump, which was very much a kind of very narrow, technical, you know, whole set of issues that, you know, uh, involved. <laughs> let's set that aside. Um, what happened on January the 6th, you know, whatever word you want to use for it, I think that, you know, a good part of the Republican Party revealed its hand as being hostile, fundamentally hostile to the, I wouldn't say the reality, but to the promise of a multiracial democracy. And this is a signal, you know, for a real political party to then say, you know, if that's where you stand and if you're going to use illegal methods to preserve that, you have forsaken, you have sacrificed, you have betrayed your right to rule. And you will no longer be in a position to do that. And we are going to fundamentally transform the, you know, the, 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 the terms and categories of American politics in order to permanently keep this kind of politics out. Not these people, but this kind of politics. We are going to repudiate it. And that's what an impeachment could be. Um, I don't, you know, that's not, of course, what the Democratic Party really wants to do. Um, that decision was already made when they decided not to nominate uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, and so we are going to have, you know, uh, you know, not quite that. But I, I, I thought it was important not to be a, to be neither a cheerleader nor a cynic about impeachment to say that there is a promise of what it could be. Uh, uh, but also to point out that it's you know more than likely that that is not what it's going to be. And um, what did you think? So you wrote this before, right? The impeachment. Um, and yeah. what did you think of the impeachment? You mentioned the promise of impeachment. Uh, how how fulfilled was that, or was that not? I mean, you know, uh, I should also say, that, you know, I, I, we are not yet in a position to have a realignment and a kind of repudiation of the Reagan regime. And even though he uh, Trump has now been impeached for a second time, and I'll say something more about that in a second, um, you know, the process whereby this repudiation realignment is going to happen is going to ha is going to be over a period of years. Um, but one thing I was surprised by, to be honest with you, is, is that 10 Republicans um, joined the impeachment and four Republicans didn't vote at all. Um, I think I, I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, hang my professor card on this, but I think that's the most bipartisan vote for an impeachment in American history. I know it seems small uh, for many people. Uh, 
but the fact of the matter is it's 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 quite significant. We'll see what will happen in the Senate. I think what's more interesting, frankly, is not from the Democratic point of view, but what this is going to do to the Republican Party. I think that's the more interesting question. Um, but, you know, it, that's where we are. You, you say uh, in your piece um, that where is it? You you quote your book, um, understandably, and you say that the last sentence of the reactionary mind uh, uh, says, okay, over the last four years, I've argued that this is a potential moment of realignment where the Reagan regime we've been living under could be shattered and repudiated and replaced by a new political regime. One of the reasons I press so hard on the Trump-Carter comparison is to point out that the Reagan regime, like the New Deal regime in the 1970s, is more vulnerable than we realize. I continue to maintain that Trump's inability to rule, most spectacularly put on display this past week, reflects the crumbling power of that regime. That doesn't mean the regime can't do damage on its way out. Uh, the last sentence of the reactionary mind makes a point of saying how much the Reagan regime will take with it on its way out remains to be seen. But that regime is far weaker than at any point since, in, since its inception. So so that's a kind of controversial thing to say for many people. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And last week I had a debate on fascism uh, yeah. with uh, Jason Stanley, Jody Dean, um, Eugene Puryear. Uh, Daniel Bessner and Samuel Moyne. And I, I often think of you and Samuel Moyne as making somewhat similar uh, arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you explain to people w- what you mean about how it's weakened and how Trump had an inability to rule and at the same time did damage? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the first thing is to look at Trump's uh, presidency and historical perspective. And by that, I mean, in comparison to Richard Nixon, uh, Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush. On a whole bunch of measures, um, there is just no doubt that the Trump presidency was relative to those presidencies, relative to those presidencies, far weaker. Number one, in terms of the level of support, popular support that he had uh, going in, um, it was the, the lowest level of popular support of any of these presidents. And remember, those other three were reelected. Uh, and in the case of Nixon and Nixon and Reagan in landslide elections, Um, uh, Trump, of course, was not. Second, if you look at the actual things that he managed to do in terms of getting a program through Congress, with the exception of the tax cuts, he was an extraordinarily weak uh, leader. Um, And and not just on, um, you know, uh, certain kind of Republican issues, but on, on some signature Trump issues. So he was never able to get an immigration bill through Congress, even when his own party controlled the entire Congress. Um, he was never able to get his Congress to pay for a wall, again, even when his own party was able to. And you could just go through, I mean, I, I don't want to bore all your readers, and I've written about this a ton, but, you know, it's just after thing after thing after thing. Um, you know, where he was successful was in the appointment of judges, which has always been, you know, the, the thing that a lot of, you know, McConnell types have uh, have cared the most about. In fact, it's Mitch McConnell who made those judges happen. Um, but in terms of advancing the Republican Party agenda, he was actually singularly ineffective. Um, and so I think on the one hand, you have to really look at that, the, that, that kind of weakness in terms of uh, creating hegemony over the electorate. And, and, a, and a quote I often like to use is from Margaret Thatcher. After she retired, she was asked, uh, what, you know, what do you think is your greatest achievement? And without missing a beat, she said, Tony Blair. And what did she mean by that? She meant it was her ability to impose her will and the Tory vision, not on their own party, right? right? But on the 
on the opposition party, that was what was the truly transformative impact. And that is what Nixon, Reagan and Bush did. Trump, and, and this is no brief for the Democrats, but what is amazing about Trump is how much, in fact, the Democratic Party consistently opposed him, even on the tax cuts. I mean, Reagan got over 150 Democrats to vote for the tax his tax cuts. Bush got about 40 Democrats. Uh, Trump got zero uh, Democrats to vote. So, and, and there's a whole bunch of other things. Um, so all those are the measures of his weakness. However, and I think this is what people come back to, it is no doubt that he was able to inflict damage, tremendous damage, material damage on a host of communities, on a host of regulations and all the rest of it. And that is true. And so if the question was, you know, is he, you know, uh, a, a damaging president? Is he a cruel president? You know, there, there was never a question. Um, but I think it was really important for people to get very clear that as a, you know, viewed in historical perspective, this is a political movement that is extraordinarily weak and nothing that happened on uh, January 6th changes that fact. Um, you know, there was no chance that they were going to be able to reverse the outcome of that election. Um, and there's nothing to suggest that Trump or the Republican Party um, have improved their standing uh, since what happened on January 6th, quite the opposite. What that means long term, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, but I think, you know, it's just What about very a saga important. and jetty? Say again? What about a saga and jetty? I'm sorry. I couldn't resist the crystal <laughs> ball joke. I'm very sorry. Yeah. The rising joke. Yeah. Get it. Um, so anyway, but that's, you know, that's kind of where I, I, I fall out on that question. It was, sorry, I cut you off. You don't have a crystal ball, so you, but any, any uh, suspicions or... Well, I mean, I think the Republican Party is in for a very tough reckoning. I think, you know, it, it's been very clear, you know, I, uh, it was very clear from the moment that Trump was nominated that he was uh, a bad candidate. He was going to be a weak leader, but that he was also the best the Republican Party could do. Um, and I, I hesitate to make predictions on this one. But my sense is, is that, you know, there's going to be a real falling out within them because... Um, it's not clear who is going to inherit his mantle. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think they can do much better than, than, than he. Um, and uh, I think they're in, you know, I think they're for in for a pretty rough patch. It's interesting because when you said that, um, you know, Tony, uh, Margaret Thatcher's greatest achievement was Tony Blair, it reminds me a bit of uh, the way that Trump's, in a way, Trump's greatest achievement was, or maybe the Dems' greatest achievement was Donald Trump, in a way, right? Because, you know, to the extent that the Democrats helped create the conditions that led to Trump, um, now what they've been able to do, right, is that that has so shifted the Overton window in terms of not just policy, but obviously aesthetic and rhetoric, that now they're just able to oppose Trump. That's what they've been able to do, right? Sign on to his war budgets, give him all the money he wants to for the military, uh, for the Pentagon, you know, say that he's a deranged Cheeto Mussolini, also urge him to be more belligerent with Putin, which I right. never made any sense. Um, but I wonder if that is, you know, it, it is this kind of, you know, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, remembering that photo of uh, the Clintons with, with Trump. But, you know, this does seem like a very good move for for class warfare. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, just when you said that about the, the Democrats complaining that you know he's a Mussolini and then complaining yeah. that he doesn't go doesn't be more belligerent with Putin, it always that's that old joke. Uh, you know, the Jewish couple, you know, complaining about you know a, a restaurant and they're like the food's so bad, and the other one says, yeah, and the portions are so small, right? And yes, you know, that's always seemed to me to be this weird left, you know, kind of split yeah. uh, response. Um, you know, I, I think the but the bigger question um, is, you know, how good has Trump been for, um, you know, for the Democrats? Um, you know, I, I again, I mean, I, I think he's actually been quite good, but I would sort of spin it in a slightly different direction um, because, you know, sort of you mentioned budgets. If you look at the budgets that Donald Trump passed and I, I, I won't let's set the military to one side for a second. Um, the truth of the matter is, is that they were more liberal in many ways than Barack Obama's budgets. Um, he had very little I mean, which is not that Barack Obama was so progressive right. or liberal himself, but they, you know, when it came to kind of core democratic programs, there was just a piece in the New York Times or the Washington Post, you know, like remember all that, you know, the liberals got very, you know, nervous. He's going to abolish the National Endowment of Arts. Right. Well, of course, he not only did not. They increased spending on the National Endowment of Arts. They never, you know, increased spending on Planned Parenthood. There's been a whole bunch of things, um, kind of culture war sorts of issues where the, he and the Republicans have spent like Democrats. So, I mean, I think to that extent, actually, he's been good for the Democrats. I think he also, um, you know, the Democrats were kind of wishy-washy on, uh, well, worse than wishy-washy on immigration. Um, and I think, you know, uh, Trump made toxic certain kinds of mm. positions on immigration. Public opinion is more pro-immigrant today than it was before Donald Trump was elected. So, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, he he helped, you know, we heard a lot of talk about norm erosion. He helped consolidate a lot of liberal norms um, throughout the society just because he his name came to be attached to certain kinds of things that previously American society was kind of like, you know, yeah, we want to restrict immigration. And now majority says, you know, uh, maybe not. That's, you know, that's Trump. That's fascism. So right. I think in that extent, actually, he's been um, I, I, I think he's been a kind of clarifying uh, you right. know, agent for for many, uh, you know, for, for a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily left wing positions, but kind of liberal positions. Right. But then, of course, the yeah, he's like the opposite of Bernie Sanders, the, the equal opposite um, in terms of that clarion, you know, the moral clarity, uh, yeah. just you, you, whatever the opposite of Trump is becomes yes. the, the clearly moral position. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, the danger is that the Dems will just, uh, you know, not uh, put will have like one fewer kid in a cage and then right. be like, but we're not Trump. Right. So that's the. Yeah. With, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, and I think that's, um, you know, I've been watching very carefully. It hasn't gotten that much attention at all. But, you know, uh, Biden's moves on immigration are, are very much kind of like one step forward, two steps back. Right. And I'll be curious to see how much attention they get, given how much attention was focused on that issue under Trump. Um, and of course, there's a really, you know, sobering precedent, which is that a lot of the things, I mean, I, you know, I remember this very clearly, that liberals and Democrats were extraordinarily upset about under George W. Bush. Uh, once Barack Obama came in and took, you know, some of those things over, um, you saw, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, di diminution um, in concern about that. But, you know, I think if we could just pull back, you know, just for one second, I mean, and, and, and what I really see happening here, the, the thing that concerns me the most at this point 
is that um, with the exception of Barack, Barack Obama's first two years in office, where um, he was actually uh, able to accomplish quite a bit. I mean, people forget, um, but there was a flurry of legislation he was able to get through, and then it all came to a stop. And so that was in 2010 when it really came to a stop. From 2010 to today, um, we have been in a situation, I think, of paralysis, you know, broadly bipartisan paralysis, where you have not seen big legislative advances of any kind of a policy agenda, whether on the left or the right. Um, you know, Trump ruled primarily through a series of executive orders, which Joe Biden is going to now undo and do his own version of executive orders. Um, but he was not able to get legislation through. Barack Obama in the last six years of his presidency was not. And given the makeup of where we are right now, um, it doesn't look to me like necessarily Joe Biden is going to necessarily uh, get that much done. And so I think, you know, as I step, try to step back from the emotion of this moment, which, you know, has been intense for understandable reasons, um, we are really in a kind of political wilderness here um, where, you know, neither side can uh, advance a kind of political agenda. And so that means, you know, sort of this ongoing neoliberal rot um, uh, that that continues and, and, and where all you're doing is relying on these executive orders and hoping that somehow a president can deliver you from this paralysis. And that is not, given the scope of the challenges we're facing, like that is not a good position to be in. And that's what I fear we are going to be in is, you know, sort of, two to four more years of the same thing where you just have this um, this toggling between a kind of neoliberal, um, you know, white racist, ethno-nationalist party on the one hand and then a neoliberal multicultural party on the other hand. And we're sort of stuck. Woke neoliberalism. Which is why I think, and then Trevor, please uh, jump in. Uh, I just, one more thing is that I do think that it's the, the heightening of the rhetorical game has... Is, is very empowering of Democrats, of, of the worst, of their worst tendencies, right? Because they don't actually have to uh, challenge on a policy level as much as they would have to had Trump not been such a noxious, you know, uh, verbally toxic as well. And, and person. And then, of course, the other thing is that we can get into this later because this is not. Uh, but but the foreign policy is an area where um, he was able to inflict a lot of damage as he, I mean, I guess he was, he was more, you know what he, he actually was also kind of hamstrung in that, right. He tried to, whenever he tried to take troops out, he would get called, I don't know, Putinist. And well, I mean, and, and sorry, just to jump in there, but you know, the, you know, this, he, one of the, we for, we've already forgotten this because, you know, everything changes so quickly, but in December he vetoed the national defense authorization act. Now, previous presidents have vetoed those acts. Reagan did it. Clinton did it. George W. Bush did it. And uh, Congress basically had to modify their position and accede to the terms of those vetoes. That didn't happen here. Uh, Trump was overwritten right. on his veto. So, you know, even in the realm of foreign policy, um, you know, he got he got pushback, a lot of pushback, including from his own party. But I, I, I do think I mean, but, you know, nevertheless, I do think you're right that he was able to inflict material damage, both internationally and domestically. And I don't, I don't think that's ever been the question, you know, in question, I should say. Talk more about this realignment that you described and, and what, how this could happen. Realignment is a concept that comes out of political science. Um, 
And it's, it's important, I think, for people to know about it because we tend to be very presentist and, you know, not really remember things that far back. But the truth is there are a series of elections in American history, uh, the election of Abraham Lincoln, the election of FDR, the election of Ronald Reagan, Andrew Jackson, Thomas Jefferson, that are elections in which a new party, it's not simply that a new party comes into power. It, it, it's a party that introduces a whole new um, set of policies, a whole new kind of governing narrative or, or, or uh, ideology that previously had been suspect or non-existent. Um, and those, uh, these realignments, what they do is that they, sh- it's not just that they, it's that they shape politics for decades to come such that, you know, Eisenhower really changes the term, I'm sorry, excuse me, FDR really changes the terms of American politics. And then Dwight Eisenhower, who is a Republican, as much as he opposes the New Deal, has to accept certain parts of the New Deal just as a condition of governance. Um, And anybody who would try to argue the opposite of that is sort of relegated to the margins. Um, Likewise, Bill Clinton, right? You know, the condition of, of of his election was, you know, he famously said the era of big government is over. Like he accepted the terms of the Reagan settlement. And we have been in a moment, I think, and Trump is a symptom of this, where the settle, the Reagan settlement is becoming undone and, and challenged. Um, you know, and you see it across a whole host of issues. I mean, again, look at the budgets. And, and you know, the le- parts of the left really hate doing this because it's incredibly boring um, and it's, you know, very detail-oriented and it's about, you know, finance and all this kind of, you know, fiscal policy. But Joseph Schumpeter, the great economist, said that, you know, that the, you know, the, 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 a state, you know, a, a budget essentially is is the thunder of world history. It's like really where you it's like where you see the DNA of the society, what it really values. And the budgets that have been passed under Trump, as I've said, have been by Republican Reaganite standards, extraordinarily liberal. Um, the fact that, you know, the whole politics of deaths and the deficits have been kind of blown out of the water. We'll see what happens in the coming months. But it seems like that's that that, that language is over. The way the Fed has been um, uh, uh, governing, you know, under a Republican appointee um, has been, you know, really accepting these low interest rates. We don't care about inflation anymore. Um, so all of these signs point to an unraveling of the Reagan regime. And I think the, the real question that for me has been on the table is why hasn't it been toppled? Like, why, why are we still living with it when it's so clear that it depends on things like courts, that it depends on things like the Electoral College? I mean, Republicans haven't won the popular vote since 1992, except for once. You know, like, that's a real sign of unraveling. But what we don't have is an opposition that's ready to say, enough, we are going to end this. Now, you know, I think that was what Bernie Sanders was trying to do, um, you know, in his way, in, not in his way, it was very clear that's what he was trying to do. And the Democratic Party made a decision. We're not going there. We are not going there. And here's where I think your point about Trump is, is really important, Katie. I mean, from a lot of the polling data that we know, like the strongest argument against Sanders and in favor of Biden was we're scared shitless of this guy, Trump, for good reasons. And we think this is the guy, you know, like we think this is the guy who's going to beat we beat him and we're not going to experiment here. We're not going to take a chance. Um, and, you know, so, 
you know, we can argue about that calculus till we want, you know, to the end of the day. But that's where we are. And so we have a situation where a regime is extraordinarily weak by any historical measure, but we don't have an opposition right. that's ready to deliver that death blow. Um, and that's, you know, we're going to be stuck here. You know, so I feel like the real question and, I, and it is not, you know, what are these radical right militias going to do? I mean, that is a question. I shouldn't say it's not the real question. Of course, it's an important question. But if you want to talk about long-term political trends and political development and where we're going, I think the real question that's on the table is what is the left going to do? Um, Because until it does something different, we're going to be stuck where we are. And in terms of, of course, the the issue of the, uh, you know, how electable Bernie was, I just want to give a shout out to MSNBC um, for spending their entire programming um, distorting that reality and presenting Bernie Sanders as a doomed candidate. And um, not just MSNBC, but there was a beautiful article in The Hill. Uh, the headline was um, tr- uh, Trump uh, slightly leads uh, Warren and Biden. And a couple of paragraphs into the article, it mentioned that the, op- the reverse is true for Sanders, who slightly leads Trump. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it's it, 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 it's it's a real problem. And to be honest, I think it goes beyond MSNBC and the media. Like, I think there's both elite and uh, grassroots constituencies in the Democratic Party um, who, for very different reasons, um, are very committed to staying the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the the, uh, the 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 Trump argument is a very powerful one. And I think one of the reasons, frankly, why it's important, I mean, I, I, you know, my argument is, you know, just mostly analytical. Like, I, I'm not um, I'm not a political organizer. You know, I don't I'm not leading any constituency and I'm not writing for any constituency. But to the extent that there's a political purchase to what I'm saying, it's to remind people that, like, these guys on the right, they are not. The tariff, you know, they are terrifying in terms of, again, the kind of material damage that they can do. And they're vicious. And nobody should underestimate that part of them. But we are not in the era when, you know, Richard Nixon, you know, could say law and order, could say silent majority and get, you know, a strong majority, you know, not a not a not a minority, but a strong majority of the American uh, electorate to be, you know, terrified and to go with him in that direction. And likewise, Reagan and then ultimately Bush. Um, and, you know, what if we learned anything from this summer, from the from the, the Black Lives Matter protests, it's that, that that kind of backlash politics, it's not that it's gone away. It's always, it's been here with us for a very long time. It's just that it's radically diminished potency politically. And I wish... You know, everybody from liberals to the left would get, you know, the message there that rather than inflating this threat in terms of its political potency, like view its diminution as an opportunity, you know, to press for a more robust political response. What would that look like, that political response? I mean, to me, it's it's Nevada. It's the Nevada primary. Right. Uh, that that is the future. And I, I just come back to it. And I, I, you know, I think 
for many of us who are pro Sanders, we've, you know, it's like a blip of something that happened and then got overshadowed by not just Super Tuesday, but the pandemic and all the rest of it. But just think back to that moment where the promise of a multiracial working class democracy was on the table and suddenly seemed like a real possibility. And that was not a mirage. <laughs> I mean, the mirage is a casino, a, a hotel in, oh, right, in Las yeah. Vegas. Right, yeah. But, um, but, but something real, you know, made up of, you know, Latina housekeepers in hotels and like, you know, a powerful labor movement, um, you know, that was putting the fundamental questions of working class democracy, multiracial working class democracy. I mean, that to me is still the future. And, you know, we lost that round ultimately, but there's no reason to stop fighting for that promise. Well, maybe it's that some people know that, uh, you know, that they are they know that it's inflated and it's because they don't have to do take that because they fear that political opportunity that they're not seeing it that way. I mean, there is a big you know, we got to distinguish between disingenuous or the basket of deplorables, which are the powerful elites. Uh, Those are my basket of deplorables uh, and the people who are actually just convinced separate the good out from the redeemables. Thank you so much for listening to The Katie Helper Show. The Katie Helper Show is edited by Ted Reedy, Dorsey Shaw, and Brad Bloom. Our theme song is by the band Cordova. Cordova.